0: Welcome to the Well Community Jokes. Well, hi everybody. Oh, come on! <laughs> wow, I, re- I said hi because I was just about to say good morning, everybody, uh, and so that wasn't going to work. So, as uh, as Melody said, we're we're beginning this series that you've been hearing about for a few weeks now called. Waking the Sleeping Giant, and uh, this series, which is a four-part series, is then going to culminate in in a weekend workshop on November fifteenth and sixteenth on spiritual gifts and understanding more about that. And uh, there's a sign-up sheet on the back now, starting this week. And so, and you can look look at the books. The books are the workbooks are ten dollars, and I would encourage you that if a couple, if you're if you're going as a couple, it's very important that you each have a book. But if for some reason uh, the $10 is just a little bit too steep, just come and see me, and, and we want to make sure that everybody can take this where they don't have to worry about finances. So if the $10 is too much, just let me know, and, and, and we will uh, gladly give you one. Um, Napoleon once uh, pointed at, at a map of China and said, There lies a sleeping giant. If it ever wakes up, will be unstoppable I, I don't know about you but I, I, I kind of think it's already woken up right now here's what's interesting Rick Warren in his book The Purpose Driven Church was actually which was actually the prequel uh, to his book that he's most famous for The Purpose Driven Life he said I, I believe the church is a sleeping giant and then here's his quote he says um, if we can ever awaken and unleash the massive talent, resources, creativity, and energy lying dormant in the typical local church, Christianity will explode with growth at an unprecedented rate. Think about that. But you know what? That kind of a statement, it begs this question, I believe. And that is, what what needs to happen so that, that churches... That are alive, stay awake. Or if they're found sleeping, will awaken to what God has in store for them. I mean, what needs to happen so that believers and churches can feel absolutely alive as they serve God and others with what I'm going to call just a reckless abandon? Using their God given passions, their their natural abilities, their personality, their spiritual giftedness, their resources, their finances for the kingdom of God. So what needs to happen so that we as believers and we as churches will both minister to one another in the community of faith that we have gathered here, in the ministry of transformation, and then simultaneously engage the community that we live in it, in a, you know, with a missionary heart, where we are literally taking the church to the community rather than expecting the community to come to us. So what needs to happen for, for that to become a reality? Well, I, I think in order to do justice to that question, we really need to allow God to awaken in us five things. First of all, our, our call. And that's going to answer the question, so what does our call to serve actually look like? And then secondly, there's awakening our shape. And and here we answer the question, well, how how do we actually serve? And then the third uh, question is awakening our motivation, where we're going to answer the question, so what attitude should we serve with? And then on the last Saturday, we're going to talk about God awakening in us our purpose and our empowerment, which will answer the question, so why do we actually serve, and to serve with distinction, what kind of empowerment is actually available to us? Now, to help us introduce each of these things that God wants to awaken in us, we're going to use a different object lesson each week to kind of describe what the church looks like When we've allowed God to awaken those kind of things within us. And I've got those four illustrations up there. And they'll be there every week. And I'll just draw another one out each week as we go through this series. So with that in mind, let's get started. And and to begin with, we want to explore the issue of, of God awakening in us our call to serve. And so if you have your Bibles or you have your Bible app, turn with me to Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, because there we find the answer to the question, you know, what does our call to serve look like? And if you look in Romans 12, 1, there it says this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, and of course the implication there is, and should be, brothers and sisters. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy... Or in other words, in in light of what God has done for you through Jesus on the cross. So in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. So you see, when it comes to, to serving, that's our call. To serve God and others with, with, with this sacrificial mentality, just to offer all of ourselves, our body, our heart, our mind, and soul to be on mission with God, like Jesus, sacrificially. in, in Investing in other people's lives in the same way that Jesus did, in both our community of faith here at the well, as we're gathered here, and also in the community at large, that we are you know, trying to bring the kingdom of Christ there. Now, here's the thing about this sacrificial mentality. It's not a casual suggestion in the Bible. It's not something that we're meant to take lightly. In fact, the Bible makes that abundantly clear by drawing our attention to three key phrases in that verse that I just read. First, there's this phrase, I urge you. And you need to know that there is an absolute strong sense of urgency here that the author is trying to paint. In fact, the picture that, that, that he's trying to paint is this. You, you, you need to picture Paul on his knees pleading to, with, with us, just, just listen to what I'm about to say. Because what follows is extremely important. That, that's what you kind of get, you need to picture when he says, I urge you, okay? He says, This is what, what, what's, what's about to follow is, is just absolutely critical in, in a Christ follower's life. Extremely important in the life of a believer who wants to commit to living, like, like, living life like Jesus did. The, the second phrase kind of puts an exclamation point on the call to serve sacrificially. And it says that, that if we will heed this call, our obedience will actually be pleasing to God. It'll be acceptable to Him. It'll be like this wonderful aroma. Okay? And then third, apparently this call to be a living sacrifice is something so profoundly God-honoring that it is actually considered in some form a reasonable act of worship to God. That's... That's how important this sacrificial uh, attitude is. This call to be a living sacrifice. There's a sense of urgency to this call. It's it's something that if we obey, it'll be just absolutely pleasing to God. and, and, And this wonderful act of worship. Now, as I thought about that sacrifice, that sacrificial attitude... I was reminded of of a car show that that Rona and I attended one year. It was an annual event that was organized by a church. They did it every year. And they did it for two reasons. One, to just connect with the community. And two, to raise funds for for, um, Teen Challenge. Anybody ever heard of Teen Challenge? And those of you who don't, they they work with, they're a Christian organization that works with people in addiction and have had tremendous success with that, and we have a few of those here in Ontario. Anyway, the, the year that we were there, there were 1,200 cars there. And um, he, here are just a few of them, right? Just, just four out of those 1,200 cars. Now, here's the point I'm trying to make think of the sacrifice of time of skill, um, you know, money, passion that was necessary to transform those vehicles into looking as though they were brand new, no matter what their original age was. Now, if you think of it, the church in some way is like those cars. It doesn't matter how young a church we are, like our own, or how old a church might be, like this United Church here. It doesn't matter how young or old a church is, if that church has a sacrificial mentality at its core, it always looks brand new. Think about that. It always looks brand new. The results are always going to be astounding. There'll be a relevant church, a vibrant church, an impactful church always on mission with God anyway that that 's our call as Christians to to serve others sacrificially to be this kind these, these other oriented people. But the question is if we 're going to go deeper in this is is How can we develop that kind of sacrificial mentality so that it actually becomes as natural to us as breathing? Where where we just naturally become less and less selfish and more and more selfless. Well, I, I, I think we develop this mentality by allowing God to instill in us just two things. A new mindset. a new lifestyle and I want to consider first of all the, uh, the new mindset that God calls us to in the very next verse we just finished dealing with Romans 12 verse 1 but in the very next verse Romans 12 2 the Bible goes on to say this and I'm going to use three translations to describe this verse okay the Bible first of all says do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world another rendition of the Bible puts it this way Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking about it. Billy Graham, in his book, uh, Hope for Each Day, here's the way he says this. He says, don't let the world's sewage system contaminate the stream of Christian thought. Rather, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Or the way another translation puts it, it says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, the way you look at things, the way you process life. Why? Because here will be the results. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, then you'll know what God wants you to do. You see, God asks us as Christians to make a a paradigm shift in our thinking when it comes to the church and, and living life as a Christ follower. The idea being that if we'll think differently, if we'll allow God to change our thought patterns to think like Jesus would, will naturally begin to act differently as well. That's the starting point in in developing a sacrificial attitude uh, towards serving. God calls us to develop this new mindset, something that's going to transform us from the inside out, something that's going to cause us to view the world from from God's perspective. Something that that will lead us to develop a, a godly worldview rather than a, a secular or humanistic worldview, or, or today, you know, many people have an, an, an eclectic, pluralistic, religious worldview. By that, I mean that they pull a little bit out of that religion, a little bit out of that, a little bit out of that, and they form their own religion. Now, let, let me illustrate how we can develop a new mindset through this story. Years ago, I used to coach uh, a football. Not soccer, you know, like real football. Sorry, sorry. It was for 12 to 15-year-olds, all right? And, and one of the rules I had was no swearing. And I'll tell you, some of those kids, man, they could peel paint with their words. But anyway, if you, if you swore, and I heard it, you did five laps around the field... And, and also there was a there was a hill right next to the right next to the field and you had to go up that hill five times Right, so five times around that the, the field and up the hill wouldn't be included in that lap. And I Did that for two reasons One I wanted to teach these young men how to be gentlemen. That's the first thing I wanted to do Secondly I wanted to teach them self-control in a violent sport where you're going to be hitting the same person 50 to 60 times every game. And you need to develop self-control. And well, along with that self-control, in our league, which I was very glad about, you got 15-yard penalty for swearing. Right? So if you don't prepare your kids in practice for that, what are they going to do in a game when they're getting hit 60 times? Right? So anyway, that's, that was the rule. And I remember one kid... He, he, he thought he was God's gift to everything. Um, he, he, just, he was a j- good kid, but just way too cocky, way too sure of himself. And so, you know, we're, we're doing these drills. And, and one of the drills we're doing is I'm going back and I'm, I'm throwing the ball. Just, I want to see who can catch the ball naturally, who has this natural talent to be able to, re, you know, catch the ball. And so they're all lined up and they're doing that. And I'm throwing the ball and throwing the ball. And this kid runs out really nonchalantly, like, look at me, I'm so cool, right? Puts his hands around, the ball hits him right in the hands, drops, and he swears. And I said, um, see ya, five laps, don't forget the hill. Way he goes. Now, you need to know, you know, even though he thought he was God's gift to everything, he was not in the best of shape. And so when he came back from the five laps, he, he was wheezing pretty hard, um, I told him, you know, go take a rest. Don't participate again until you feel like you're ready. A few minutes later, I see him in line again. And he went out for another, out for another pass, dropped the ball, swore again. Now, I want, you know, especially uh, the mothers here, I want you to know I, I was a caring coach, right? I, I, liked, I liked my kids. I, I, I loved them. But I just waved at him. And I said, don't forget the hill, right? And away he went on his second, you know, five laps in a half hour. And when he finished that second set of laps, because I let them use their own pace, right? Well, he collapsed on the ground. He, He could hardly breathe, let alone swear, which was really good because practice was far from over, right? But here's what came out of that. For two years, I had the privilege of coaching that that boy, and he never swore again during that entire time. And what's even more significant is is this. Not only did he stop swearing, but his, his whole attitude changed. His cockiness was, was replaced with this quiet confidence. This, he he de- began to develop this team mentality, and he worked hard, and he, he became my starting linebacker. And for those of you who don't know, any, you know much about Canadian or American football, that's a very important position on defense, right? He's kind of like the quarterback for the defense. You see, what he did is he developed a new mindset a new way of thinking, and it transformed him. It changed his perspective about the game, and it changed the perspective about himself. And what I'm getting at is this. That's what God asks us to develop when it comes to serving him sacrificially. He's asking us to develop a new mindset, to allow him to give us a new mindset. Allowing him... To renew our thoughts, our minds, which will then cause us to and and lead us to appropriate action. Godly action. Action with a sacrificial, selfless bent to it. So that's the mindset that God wants to develop in us when it comes to serving him sacrificially. But he also asks us to do something else. He also asks us to develop a new lifestyle. A lifestyle that's that's counter-cultural to society. It's a a lifestyle that is actually characterized by one word. And that word is interdependence. Not independence, but interdependence. Our, Our world basically says you're mature when you become independent. The Bible says you become mature when you become interdependent. Not dependent on, on one another, but interdependent with one another. That, that's how the church functions best. That's how God has actually wired us to, to function together as a family of God. You see, it's only when we develop this, this interdependent attitude toward one another that we learn how to serve God and others sacrificially. Oh, you know, don't get me wrong. We, we, we need to be dependent upon God through Jesus Christ. That's where our dependence needs to be on. But true maturity as a Christ follower is seen is in our in, interdependence with one another rather than our independence from one another. Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, says... The Bible knows nothing of solitary saints or spiritual hermits isolated from other believers and deprived of fellowship. He goes on to say, While your relationship to Christ is personal, God never intends it to be private. In God's family, you are connected to every other believer. Now, there are many... Phrases. There are many analogies in the Bible that, that point to this interdependence, this interconnectedness that, that, it, that God wants to exist in the church. But the, the best and, and the most often used analogy is that of the human body. So if you have your Bibles with you, t- turn with me to, to 1 Corinthians 12, which is the next book over from the book of Romans. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, one of the first things that this chapter mentions, um, one of the first things that this this that chapter mentions about this this interdependence is this: that every Christ follower in the church is given the ability and the giftedness to serve, and is expected to serve in some capacity. Why? For the common good. Of one another and and then the community out there, and of course, that's bringing an illness or or you know or there, or you need a time of emotional healing or or you've just had a baby you know there, there's time to just relax right I, I didn't hear an amen uh, just just so, okay, there we go so. You know That's what God, that's what God is saying, that, that every Christ follower is given the ability and the giftedness to serve for the common good of us all. Now, I will say, when I said barring an illness or, 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 or whatever you're going through, you know, I, we, we do have to realize that even when we're at our weakest, God can use us and often chooses to do so. At least that's been my experience with the two decades of chronic fatigue that I've had to deal with. Anyway, in, in verse 7, we read this. Yeah, I knew it was gonna, this would be the time it was going to go on me. A spiritual gift is given to each of us as a means of helping the entire church. So be encouraged. Be encouraged by that verse. Now let me just share a little bit more about my own life. There was, there was a time in my life that I actually no longer believed that verse. When I was at my worst, um, with my chronic fatigue, which was shortly after I had resigned as a pastor of a church, that was back in 2001, I was, I was so down, so discouraged, that I didn't think I had a single gift to offer the church even though I knew that verse. And so the fact that I no longer believed that verse, that was just—that a lie from Satan that I was believing, right? So anyway, that's, that's the first thing we learn about this interdependence. Every follower of Christ has the ability and giftedness from God to serve. And By the way, it took my wife to remind me about what the Bible had to say, right? A second thing we learn about this radical concept of, um, of interdependence is this, that everyone, each person's abilities and giftedness is vitally important to the church. For example, no one is, 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 uh, is to think that they or their gifts and abilities are somehow inferior to others or that they don't have anything to offer to others. And also, no one is to be envious of another person's abilities and giftedness. In, in verse 16 of 1 Corinthians 12, we read this. Um, if the ear says, I am not part of the body because I'm only an ear and not an eye, would that make it any less a part of the body? And then jumping to verse 18, the implication there is no. God made our bodies with many parts, and he has put each part just where he wants it. So you see... We're not allowed to feel inferior towards or envious of others and their giftedness. We're all important in God's eyes. And in addition, no one is allowed to feel uh, superior to others Or, or look at some gifts, you know, some of the more visible gifts out there The more upfront gifts uh, that somehow they're more important than the others. In fact, you know, sometimes it's the less visible positions that are actually very crucial to the church people who have the gifts of mercy and helps and discernment and so on and so forth. In in his book, The The Purpose Driven Life, Rick Rick Warren says, you know, small or hidden ministries often make the biggest difference. And then he illustrates it this way he says, "In, in my home, he says, the most important light is not the large chandelier in our dining room, but it's the little night light that keeps me from stubbing my toe when I get up at night. And by the way, th- those aren't from Rick Warren's house, in case you're wondering. He, he lives a really, quite a frugal lifestyle, so you need to know that. Uh, I just wanted to cause the greatest amount of difference between the two, right? Right? Anyway, Rick goes on to say that there is no correlation between size and significance in the church. Every ministry matters. Every gift matters. Because we are all dependent on each other to function well. And we find all of this in verses 21 to 24 of 1 Corinthians 12. And I'm going to read it to you from the paraphrase called The Message which for many of you, you know that it's a paraphrase taken from the original Hebrew and Greek by Eugene Peterson. Here's how he puts it. He says, what we have is one body with many parts, each its proper size and in its proper place. No part is important on its own. I mean, can you imagine I telling hand, get lost, I don't need you. As a matter of fact, in practice, it works the other way. The lower the part, the more basic and therefore necessary. You can live without an eye, for instance, but not without a stomach. And then he ends with this. If you had to choose, wouldn't you prefer good digestion to full-bodied hair? You can see what decision I've already made, right? <laughs> anyway, what you're trying to get at here is everyone's vitally important in the life of the church. No one can claim superiority and no one is to feel any inferiority. And this brings me to the third thing about interdependence. There is to be a unity in our diversity. In other words, there's to be a unity of mind and purpose within the diversity of our personalities, our abilities, and our giftedness. Starting in verse 25 of 1 Corinthians 12, we, we read these words. And keep in mind, the implication here is, because all gifts from God are important and necessary to God's kingdom work, this makes for harmony among the members so that all of the members care for each other equally. Now, all of you together are Christ's body, and each one of you is a separate and necessary part of it. Unity within diversity in the kingdom of God. In their book, Fearfully and Wonderfully Made, Dr. Paul Brand and, and Philip Yancey, they, they compare this unique combination of unity within diversity in the church but by looking at the human cells in a body. And here's what Dr. Brand says. He says, you know, I, I am stuck, or I am struck by, by, by their variety. He says, chemically, my, my cells are almost all alike, you know, they're, but visually and functionally, they are as different, he says, as animals in a zoo. For instance, he says, red blood cells, uh, discs resembling lifesaver candies, they voyage through my blood loaded with oxygen to feed other cells. And then he says, white blood cells, uh, which are larger and able to change shape, are there any Star Trek people here, Strekkies? You remember the shapeshifters in the Star Trek? Well, well, that's what white blood cells are. They're shapeshifters, right? And and uh, but he says, you know, they're they're larger. They're able to change shape, but he says they're actually sluggish, just floating along, seemingly disinterested until until the body's attacked, and then they become these fierce warriors, often sacrificing themselves for the rest of the body. And then there's fat cells, he says, fat cells seem lazy and leaden like bulging white plastic garbage bags jammed together, yet he says they function as insulators from the cold, storage units for emergency situations and protective barriers around internal organs. So you see, fat cells get a bad rap, right? Now, looking at me, you know that if we have a famine that comes, I'm going to be the first one to go because I don't have enough fat cells in me that covers one Happy Meal, right? I mean, that's about it. Okay, that's, that's what a healthy, biblically functioning church body looks like when we're using our time, when we're using our, our finances, our giftedness, our abilities, our personalities to serve others interdependently. But let's just switch gears for a moment. And, and let's ask, but what, what might the church look like, you know, keeping in mind the cells of the body, what, what might the church look like when it's not interdependent or interconnected? When, when people are not using their abilities and their giftedness their time and their finances in a united fashion. If we're all just doing our own thing, you know, there's no common vision or direction or we're divisive or apathetic or lethargic. Well, once again, like I said, I want to look at the cells in our body because it's very, very interesting there. Dr. Brandt says that there are times when cells in our body get lazy or mutinous and decide to do their own thing. And he says, when that happens, it often affects our entire body adversely. For example, he says, one time he was traveling in India, and he came upon this pitiful sight. There was this beggar woman outside a railway station. She was emaciated, sunken cheeks, bony limbs, literally starving to death. Yet surprisingly, a huge growth, round and sleek, was growing from her side. And it was a benign tumor of fat cells. But think about it. Here she was starving to death while this thriving, healthy growth, nearly the weight of the rest of her body, was sucking life right out of her. In in commenting on this scenario... Dr. Brandt says, you know, I've removed tumors like that, he says. and Under the microscope, they seem composed of healthy fat cells bulging with shiny oil reserves. He says the cells are functioning beautifully except for one flaw. He says they have become disloyal to the rest of the body. And they are engorging themselves and disregarding the rest of the body's needs. The body, he concludes, will have health only if each cell regards the needs of the whole body. I would suggest to you that the church is no different. Right? Let me conclude with this. Did you know that apparently there are no pleasure nerves or pleasure nerve cells in the human body. None. There are nerve cells for pain, for cold, for heat, for touch, but no nerve cells to give us a sense of pleasure. Pleasure, it seems, is to be a byproduct of all of our cells living in cooperation. And so taking that analogy, I would suggest to you once again, when you think of it, The church is no different. Pleasure. In in enjoyment. um, A sense of fulfillment. True joy. Comes from cooperating. With one another. Under God's guidance. And direction. So I would encourage us. That. As we continue to allow God. To build this church. Let's. Let's not succumb to the sleeping giant syndrome that plagues so many North American churches today. Instead, let's be known as a church that's awake, that's that's alive. A church that's on the, the cutting edge of what God wants for us. A church empowered by God to transform the world through Jesus. Let, let's, let's be involved. Let's be a church that's involved in, in God-sized stuff, stuff that we could never accomplish without His help, which is part of the reason that we have decided as a lead team that for the last two and a half months or so, we've set an additional goal of 7,000 that we want to have as a church be, you know, on top of our budget by the end of the year because we want to get ready for next year and what that's going to mean. But I mean, just think about this. We are part of the greatest team on earth. God wants to use us in mind-boggling ways to make a huge difference in our community. Ministering to one another and engaging our community out there. So when it comes to serving others, we want people to say of us, you know what? There is nothing like the church when it's going well. Or boy, we would sure miss the well if they were no longer here. Wouldn't that be great for people to say that of us, right? Now, I I mentioned earlier that um, each week I'm going to use a different object lesson to illustrate what we've been talking about. And, um, And so if there is nothing out there like the church when it's going well, then I would suggest to you that it's, it's like this wicker basket right here. If you take a close look at this basket, you will see that there are different sized reeds here. You know, Some are pretty thick, like these on top here. Some are very small. There's different shades of colors in here. Um, there's some that are very, very weak, and, 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 and the, that's these up on top here, that they bend very easily. They're, they're very weak. So all of these individual things, they're, um, they're all kind of weak on their own, but, but woven together, like every part of, every one of these things has a part to play in building the strength of this wicker basket. And so when you put it all together, this is what you got, something that can hold a lot when you don't, you have something like this, right? These individual reads, and they, they break relatively easy, right? And by themselves, they're, they're really kind of useless, right? And so I, I say it again empowered by God with Christ to lead and and unite us. This is what God is inviting us to. To look like this. When we are working with a sacrificial mentality and a spirit of interdependence. When we're being other oriented. Willing to set aside our independence To become more interdependent on mission with God.